Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Join your hosts, Mark Zylinski, Jeremy Duval, and Rob Fanouf as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Rob Fanouf. Tonight, we have another really great episode that I'm sorry to say got stuck in the queue behind a few time-sensitive or event-specific episodes that we felt just had to get out first. But we are here at last, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. A while back, we did a podcast content survey, thanks to all of you that took the time to give us the feedback. On the survey, we asked for topic suggestions, and I'm happy to report you gave us a massive list of ideas. So tonight, we're going to tackle three of the appetizer-sized topics. First up, we have a roundtable recorded at Mountaineer sharing our favorite Mantic models. Next, Jeremy and I dive deep into the wonderful world of widgets. Make sure to check the show notes as we'll have loads of links and pictures to the widgets we discuss. Finally, Jeremy and I jump into all things gaming clubs. If you have anything you'd like to add to tonight's topics, head over to our Facebook page and join the conversation. Well, we have a lot to get through tonight, so let's get started. Favorite Mantic model and why? Okay, this is a good one. I'm going to go first. Can we do like like three and go like round the table? Yeah, yeah. Because like, dude... There's a bunch. There's a bu- there. There are a few that I'm I'm super into. All right, well you, you can go. start. Go ahead. Okay, one of my favorites, Hernius the Hunter. He's a great model. It's phenomenal. Number one, it's like two pieces. It's dude, and then like his little crossbow arms. It goes together like butter, and he's like. Obviously, you remember a lot of the old GW days where they're like the single piece casts. They're very two D. Both arms are up. You know, there's none of that. Like he's like. One foot forward, he's hunched over, he's got his crossbow, like, ready to rock and roll. He's got, like, kind of a spooked out, like, looking over his shoulder kind of look. And he's creeping around, his cape's got some dynamism. So he's, like... He's he's in your diorama. He's in my diorama I turned in. And I made that diorama, I love that model. I love movement in models that isn't necessarily, like, I'm leaping off the base and I'm precariously perched on, like, one toenail on a blade of grass. Well, you see movement. He tells a story, and that's why I love that model. That's good, good, and he's metal. And he's metal. And we people give Mantic a lot of shit. Metal bot. First of all, metal models in general suck, putting together and whatnot. But right. this is a modern metal model where they've learned to actually mold it in a way that you can do the undercuts and things that you may not have seen from GW back now, in the day. Let me uh, jump in on that real quick. Folks, yeah. If you want to bitch about metal models, go to your local hobby shop because the game has pretty much died. Go find you any war machine kit. They probably got fifty percent off. Make sure it's a metal model. You put that thing together. Every model after that, you will be like, this is awesome. This is no problem. Right. There's also, I want to pieces. point out, Privateer Press doesn't put instructions in their kits. So we're going to talk about that, too, because <laughs> that's another thing that everybody's like, there's no instructions. The only people that use instructions are GW. And, everybody and, else and is weird. like, yeah, and GW weird. makes sure, for some reason, you have to have 16 belt loops that you actually will only ever see well, when you glue them. In GW's defense, a lot of their kits can only go together one way. Right. Yeah. And so they have, sing- you, they, they, they have to tell you this arm goes with that body because if you don't do it that way, that it's not going to go together. Goes in the chest too. I just put a whole elf arm together, and you know what? I just put a left arm on the left side of the torso and the right arm on the right side of the torso, I, and it works. We're, we're definitely getting derailed, but modeling is almost the lost art at this point. Like People are super force-fed by GW where everything is like, 100% perfect and ready to go. It's like, dude, I remember being 11 building Metal Chaos chariots. Like, 
I pinned a great unclean one, like the old ass metal one. Like that's just that's how you built models. You had to do it. Jump back on track. I can well, go with the cheater one, but I'm gonna go with one that I've struck my fancy so far. But the uh, the butchers from the Night Stalkers line. And they're the PVC ones. The PVC ones. They're awesome. I actually put some together recently because I want to like, box it back. They pretty much when I read the fluff on butchers and everything like that model it's got like three arms it's like the dude was like in my head like stealing my ideas of what i thought a butcher would look like because you know no eyes big huge mouth you know three arms you know carrying a big old like what i like about it though there's isn't there like an alternate arm so like they i think you can put the get there's a couple different versions well there's like one where it's like it's like wrapped it's like a tentacle right. wrapped around a dagger and yeah it's, so, it's somewhat monopose but it looks it's so got something damn yeah what a butcher should freaking look but like it's PVC kit too right so you can put them in hot water and you can right. bend them and bend do all kinds of stuff and it's a nice stalker who cares if it's not if bones look like they're all like bent yeah. out of place yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice stalker so all right that's one i like that's right, I'm, a, I'm a 31 at left field that people will shock hear me say I love the the steel behemoth. I love that. Oh, that's model. come on. That's a that's that, not left field. That's, that's not left field. That's, that's center field, bro. Honestly, I I, <laughs> I, I, I saw I saw it online. I'm like that looks so like to me that like what Felix said. Like that looks to me like what something dwarves would build. Like just a tall glass of suck it here it comes. Like yeah. honestly, I won. I, I got lucky and I got second place in sports. Danny Bryan Road here. Um, I got second what, what, place what, 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 in Lone I love. I got second place sports. Wait on my trophy. Yeah, wait on my trophy, Mark. You gonna mail it? Um, like he doesn't live this. No. Uh-huh, <laughs> but, um, I won this the, the steel behemoth, and I, I'm oh I'm leaning so hard towards making a dwarf army just because of that model. Right. No, it's it's a. Well, I'll just say in general, like all those resin monster kits. Yeah, yeah. dude. They're like buttery smooth, super crisp de- detail. Go together like perfection. Antique makes good. Metal, All right, so mine, mine, I'm going to be very specific. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like this, and but actually this version of this. Moloch's Sweet. The Dungeon Saga Moloch that comes in the resin uh-huh. resin version from the Kickstarter where he's like this. Yeah. Best. It is sweet. 100%. Great model. A lot of detail. And, and all the Molochs are great. And now they're moved from metal to resin. Even better because I'm finding that when you look at the two, metal ones are fine, they're heavy, whatever. Not my preference, because I was converting shit out of this hard with metal. The resin ones are easier to convert, but also I'm noticing, I think that they're just the same sculpts, they're the same masters, but because they made them out of resin, the details are a little crisper. The edges are a little harder, which makes the Molochs look even better. But the Dungeon Saga, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. The guy? The Dungeon Saga Moloch. He comes in plastic, but you could also you could have got a resin one. Right. The Kickstarter. Awesomest, bestest model they have ever made. All right, so we're back to Billy, number two. We're gonna do three of these. So right. sounds good. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to do any more dwarves, but I do want to point out that if they make a metal dwarf character, every one of them is just great. I just picked Ternius as my favorite, um, so I don't want to pick any more dwarves. So I'm gonna go to a different one. The new Vanguard Mopup launcher. I have a Goblin Warband for Vanguard because of that Mopup launcher. It's Preposterous! You want to talk about like unique, silly stuff? We have we have mob uh, beasts in in King's War, which are like their own kind of take on wargs, and it's a it's a mortar that shoots 
like the reject mall pups that are too too nice or whatever. And my four and a half year old has told me I need to paint one like my dog Tinkerbell. So it's Tinkerbell. <laughs> yeah. You need to post more pictures of your dog on Facebook. Well, yeah, and, and just to extend on that, they're all of the Vanguard stuff. Yes, right. Especially the resin stuff. The goblins. They come out with the army box for goblins. The new goblins. Like right now, I have a goblin army. Like when I first got in the hobby, I played goblins, but it's all GW except the the trolls. They're mantic. Right. But. If they come out with like new goblins and the army, I'll, I'll redo my whole army's mandate because I like I like their goblins. Right. They're good. Yeah. So yours was the Mawpup launcher. Yeah, I mean like that entire set is amazing. Like the dude with the whole bear trap and stuff. Yeah. But the Mawpup launcher is just the most unique. You're like, that's creative. That's the, that's that's the, the concept. That's the pièce de résistance. Matt, if, if if you were to make you know. Uh, what one model is Mantic Goblins? It's Pop yeah. yeah. That's it. I mean, it's that cool. Yeah. All right. Number two for Felix Castro. Mantic Centaurs. Just kidding. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I will say, I the sculpts like... themselves are fine. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but right. the metal models are hard to put together. Exactly. Um, honestly, uh, it's kind of a bit of a cheater, but the giant, the colossal giant yep. model. I mean, it's so good. You want to talk about attracting people at a game store? You bring that for out. An eight-inch model. Yeah. And people are like, "What is that?" It's Barbie doll's boyfriend. Yeah, it's a Ken doll in Kings of War. It's amazing. And the kit they're using it to have different things. Like the Shadow Hulk is basically that base giant model with some resin pieces. The Frost Giant, that base model with some resin pieces. They're able to kind of leverage the beauty of that initial sculpt for that giant to make other types of giants. It just, like, for me, like, that's that's stuff. If I was a little kid, I'd be like, what the heck is that big thing in that? Like, all these little guys and this massive Ken doll of a monster striding on the battlefield just whacked with a big old club. So, Mantic, the new Mantic Colossal Giant, that's definitely... I mean, they can't keep stock apparently. Like, yeah. Oh man, it's dude. There's like, so I follow. Uh, I follow a lot of hobby pages. It doesn't even matter if they're like all Kings War pages. I just mm-hmm. follow hobby pages to like models. I follow this this one Age of Sigmar group. It's like Dark Age of Sigmar, and they mm-hmm. make like super weird conversion. Someone did something with the Mantic Giant. Everybody was like, "What is that? Where's that from?" And everybody's like, it's "The new Mantic Giant." And they're like, "What? They make models that are good, guys." <laughs> get out, get your head high. Go look. Right. Yes, they do. I think that loops around to the positivity thing. Like we kind of get the bad rap, but it's like, dude. Take a look at what's been coming out. Right. Like, it's getting real. Yeah, like I said, that Mantic Giant, like, that's a nice, uh, that's an attention getter on the tabletop. It's a beautiful model. Goes together really well. Looks great on the table. Bam. Jesse, what you got? We go with the easy one, and Rob will agree with me. Is Mantic's Ogre Berserkers. Oh! Yes! Bam! And you know what? Those are metal models. Yeah, they're yeah, so awesome. <laughs> I look those at them like these are, are really awesome. Good. Like they are, they are proportioned perfectly. Like they're they're stocky enough, but they look like they should be speed six. Like they are just. I, I don't think the artist whoever sculpted it could do any better. Like it is, is perfect, and they look just savage enough to be berserkers, but like still, they're not crazy. It's the best way to describe them. Savage. They're rough. They're tough. They're ogres. They don't take no guff. But. They're, I mean, they're just awesome. They, I love them. I bought, right now I have three. I just need to keep saving my money. It's like 10 bucks a model. But I will have an entire army of them. Soon. Well, for me, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to talk Vanguard again. Dwarves. Uh, all of them. They're all great. Yeah, and if I'm only going to pick one, I'm, the Steel Juggernaut is pretty good. Okay? The Iron Guard. The Flame Priest. The Flame Priest is dope. It's pretty dope. 
Uh, unfortunately, we found out that he's not that good in combat in the game itself. But maybe I don't know what I'm doing with him yet. There's no bad ones in that. In that, that even the metal, even the metal ones are really good. But if I'm gonna pick just one, I dude, I know you didn't like the ranger. I love that. Yeah, I, I I guess I didn't like it as much because it was less armored and it didn't look as rugged as I mean, because it, it's a it's a lady with without a. Well, she's no a ranger. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess you're right. So what I'm saying is I didn't like the ranger. I get it. I'm using it for a ranger regiment. Yeah, I get, you. I get you. I get you. The iron guard, dude, that guy. And I and I actually want to use him as a sergeant because he just looks badass. The, the shield breaker, the iron. The, the shield breaker looks amazing. He's got the, the iron hammer, watch guy. Iron watch guy on, you know, uh, I, they're just so good. But if I'm just gonna pick one, I, I'm gonna pick the flame priest because it just looks badass. He's got this little flamer. He's like, bring it, brother. I'm about yeah. to blast you. Now in the game, it turns out he doesn't really blast you very good. But so for me. The resin flame priest model for Vanguard. Uh, so we're down to number three. Okay. And uh, we're back to Billion. Okay. While everybody else is going around the table, I've been thinking a lot about it, and, I, and I've just kind of been going through the range in my head. And there's there's a lot of individual things that I like to pick out, but I'm trying to think of one that's maybe not as thought about as often, and that is the Orc War Drum, dude. It's a good kit. The Orc War Drum is awesome. So it's like this super savage looking almost like a wizard shaman type and he's getting like animal skins and stuff and then there's like another dude on the base and then the drum just looks badass i mean it is a i think all the dudes are one piece they might be two the pieces. guys themselves are one piece and the drum is a separate piece it's a three piece model yeah it's it's the drum and two bros and i mean they're just there's something about metal models that they just they're packed full of character and that model reminds me of being like 11 12 and painting orcs and goblins I love the Mantic Orcs because they're kind of more like militaristic and they've got armor and they're not just like big old doofy, oi, govna, like whatever Orcs. But man, that kit harkens to like the nostalgic, you know, 12 year old me painting Orcs and Goblins. So that's fair. War Drum. And these were in no particular order. Right. Uh, for me, I guess my third one is probably, it's got to be the Archfiend of the Abyss. The resin? The resin one. I mean, that guy, the way he's posed, the way his arms are, got fireballs coming off of his fist, his wings. That that looks like something that's going to hit you with nine attacks. Yeah, Brian had a trade a while ago. And um, I don't even play missiles. But uh, I traded her a bunch of models just to get my hands on it, right. just because I love the way that model looks. I like that; it's awesome. And then like Nick Williams did one, like he did some posing with the uh, the hot water, or whatever, to get him looking like he's running. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I mean, and it's not, he probably had to cut it and stuff because it's resin, resin. Yeah. Right. I mean, it looks good though. I mean, so it's a nice model. It's got a lot of like that's that's what I imagine a big flipping demon to look like on the battlefield. Just a whole lot of I'm gonna kill you. I like the Archfiend Abyss. It's a great, it's fun to paint up too. So it's not just a, I like the look. I like painting it up as well. So. I gotta say, my third model is the actual model that got me into Mantic, and that is just your standard troll model. It's I, funny looking. I it's love, cool. I love the, There's something army. adorable. They, just, they look like, to me, they're just like mutated gorillas. Like, I can add control. <laughs> a little tiny around. head. Right, a little tiny head, a little tiny leg. But I just imagine like walking around on their knuckles, and they, <clears> but they just look like something that. It kind of the, the intent to me, they just the intensity of like the cave troll from Lord of the Rings. Like you know, if he shows up, like oh, something's about to go real bad. Right. Right. I mean, it's just it's like overly like it's big, but it's not like stupidly comic book muscle. It's just big slabs of muscle. It's really like the stitches in it. It's got plates like welded into it. And the really good one is the Dungeon Saga one. Yeah. The, the Orc expansion. Like I use him in my Warband for Vanguard. And it's just 
this is big, this, like, you know, it's just, it, it goes back to the whole berserker thing. Like, it is savage, and you know something bad can happen if it cracks loose. And I just, standard, just, I love the trolls. I would have an entire troll army. I just love them. I don't care. Like, that's why I was bad with goblins. I'm like, I want to run punchy goblins. People are like, no, no, that's not how you do goblins. <laughs> I want to hit things with the trolls real bad. Ogres need trolls. Let me have them. There's a lot of other models. I'm, 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 I'm picking just one. So many that I'd love to pick, but I'm just, I'm gonna say something weird. The tree herder, the big guy. I like yep. the tree herder, dude. Like another one of those resin kits where I'm like, uh, everybody's like, well, there were some criticisms about it. I and I, and I won in an event. It was Forge. I remember I opened up like, yeah, I won one in an event. Damn, too, yeah. this is really really detailed, right? And damn, this is really cool. Uh, and, and maybe that's a trend because we've hit we've hit on a few. The abyssal fiend, the the tree herder, the steel behemoth. They're monsters. They're big monsters, yeah. or maybe right. the and, and the even the colossal giant, which isn't resin, but it's dude. So, the other big monster. The greater earth, the the water, the greater earth. obsidian, the water elements, yeah. the fire elemental, Cronius, yeah, the Crudger on Slasher. Those things are oh, dope. Crudger on Wing Slasher. Yeah, I've got two. Oh my gosh. I've got two of the uh, the greater earth elementals. One's the onyx, one's the regular. I mean, they're just they're fun awesome. to paint, and they're they're good. They're clean. They're like you enjoy putting them together. So keep keep doing more. Monsters, Mantic, please. Yes. Well, and also keep. Let's fill out the range. Right. Like, come on, give me. The elves Dude. need the phoenix, right? Uh, the uh, dragon riders. Dragon riders. Dragon riders. Let's, well, it's like when you're I mean, painting they tease the phoenix for the Basilean. So well, when you're when you're that. painting, it's like you know, that's that's the dessert. Like, no, I mean, I don't care who you are. Nobody gets excited about painting the seventieth foot guard guy. Like, okay, well, the I part- mean, that's that's <laughs> that those monsters and those big. Models give the that's your showpiece model. Yeah, and that's that's the one you put right there, middle of your display board. And be like, look what I can do. You right. know what I mean? It, it, it draws your attention. Like I said, no one cares about the seventieth foot guard guy you painted up. Whatever, you know. Right. That big monster people are just like, oh crap, look at that thing. And you get to, and you get to have fun with it. And it really for some of them, I mean, that's the entire theme. Um, I know for mine, like I took the Greater Obsidian Golem, like I really Earth Golem, and I run my Missile Dwarves, and he's uh, I use him as a super rock. But I also have um, I took the the stuff off the Empire of Dust catapult, I put it on his chest and a headdress, and that's my showbiz. And we are back, and first thing we're going to talk about is the wonderful world of widgets. I love widgets. What is a widget, you may ask? So basically, we like to think of widgets as your sparkly bits, your doodads, your dice, your your counters, your arc meter, like any sort of accessory accoutrement that you might use when you play. So Rob and I, we're going to just kind of take you guys through our widget boxes and talk a little bit about what we like to use, what we've seen that's good, you know, why we like it, you know, what's what sort of uh, products we like. So you want to go first, Rob? Sure, I'll, I'll go. And what we'll kind of do is we'll take it category by category. Yeah, got it. So let's start with dice. Dice are the most important thing. For me, I always use custom dice. Typically, they're going to be club custom dice, and they're usually going to be matched to the army from a color standpoint. I typically have 40 Blue City Brawl dice that are specific to me. I'm the only one that has these colors, and, and that's for my basic you know, uh, rolling. And then in addition, I'll have some alternate Blue City Brawler colors, maybe like a blue or an orange, whatever, to the side, and I'll use two of those for leadership tests. And the rule that a lot of the Brawlers have is if we roll the leadership dice 
and they are complete garbage. Uh, we are going to give them to our deployment because they obviously don't work for us. Huge fan of custom dice. If you haven't uh, done it before, it's really simple. Chess X, you just send them the line art. I think the range is from like 42 cents to a dollar, depending on how many you buy. And this is a, this is a pro tip. Always get the symbol put on the six, right? Don't put it on the one. Nothing worse than that. You use dice too, right? Yeah. So I think Chessex is a great one for doing custom dice. I love dice. I have a huge dice buying uh, problem. Yearly at KublaCon, one of the biggest venues in the hall is is uh, Games of Berkeley that does a Chessex display where they have the entire catalog of Chessex dice in one giant like 50-yard long table. So I have like so many different Chessex dice, but they're really the name of the game when it comes to custom dice. What you normally will do is you'll send a graphic to their custom team and then they'll do a mock-up. So they'll actually send you a picture of the symbol mocked up on whatever sort of color scheme of dice that you want. And that's a really fun and flavorful way to add some sort of uh, a, a special feel to an army. Like I know, I think I've shown them in the after dark chat for like for my Basilean army. I have a lion's head graphic like my army sort of themed around a lion and dan miner and my buddy jesse burt helped me sort of design a graphic then that i have on all my sixes for those dice so chess six are really good for custom dice a lot of it is like dice feel i'm like a big fan rob and i know britain always gives me crapola for this but i like square like razor edged dice so chess six dice are sort of rounded. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of like square dice, kind of what you would see in a uh, Yahtzee game. Casinos. Yeah, but I'm a, uh, I am like a Koplau. I don't know if you've ever had dice from them, but as far as square edge dice, and if, if you want them in like marbleized or metallic or sort of the colors are, are, are uh, quality that you'll find in a chess six dice, but you want a square dice. Check out Coplo Dice. They're, uh, you can find them on Amazon or eBay. You know, not a lot of stores carry them. Chessix is definitely more popular. But they're one of my favorite sort of, you know, non-Chessix dice brands because Chessix is so huge. They're pretty much, you know, the main dice company, I would say. Coplo is a good one. You know, a lot of people do. You mentioned it. You uh, do like the casino dice. There's nothing more hilarious than seeing Todd Serpico <laughs> roll a horde of Stampede using only casino dice, which you'll see <laughs> living legends this year and you know for people who are running events getting a pair of uh, dice from an event is like probably some of the coolest swag you can get absolutely you know i have like my lone wolf dice i have dice that you've given me i have dice from so from masters you know definitely like a cool relatively inexpensive if you're looking for that really fun custom swag for an event look at getting custom dice done we've given 10 dice out to each player at blue sea abroad the last three years here's a tip when you order custom dice from chessex they'll actually if you have one design you can actually usually put it on five different dice they don't really care what color dice you use right they're going to put it on the rack and it's going to go to town and so what i'll typically do is i'll make my tournament dice run and then i'll use the extra four colors to offer unique colors to the 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 club mates or to myself. And so that's one of the ways I've, I've been able to get uh, reasonably priced custom dice. Yeah. You know, and, and their custom dice department, the guy who does it, it's Joseph. one guy. He's really Joseph. Yeah. He, Joe, he'll, he'll respond to you. He'll work with you to get a good image. You know, if you're not sure about how the image uh, is going to be, or maybe how, how it would look on certain colors, they really want you to be happy with the end product. 
So they will work, they will work with you to make sure that you're happy and get it shipped. Mm. You know, if there's an event you need it by, they'll try to work with un- within their, you know, sometimes they do have a long queue. So I guess that is something to bring up Rob about getting custom dice done is that it can be like a four to eight week or four to six week process. So if you need them for an event, just think ahead. Especially if you're around Adepticon. Yeah. Because Adepticon is their busy season. So they, they've got tons of people that want custom dice for Adepticon. Okay, maybe we should, Rob, let's go into like wound counters. Absolutely. Because that's kind of related to dice. A lot of people like to use dice. And I should mention, I, I use 16 millimeter dice for rolling and, and that kind of thing. But then I was using 12 millimeter dice, you know, the smaller Chessex size for wound counters because actually Mantic makes little three spaced gray plastic markers to put behind it. Problem is when you're rolling dice and stuff, uh, they get knocked over and then you don't know what you had on there. So I've actually stopped using dice. Uh, there's lots of things I've seen. I'm not, it's like a quilting thing, like a little wheel that turns. I've seen people that, that actually make like acrylic or MDF dials that go up to like 25. I mean, what do you use? You know, it's so strange. It's like, you know, what shirt do I feel like wearing that day? Because I've used so many different types of wound counters. I think you bring up some good points. I think the wound dial is a a way to go, which is essentially you have a dial, and as you take damage, you wheel it up or wheel it down. Check out Minor Creations, Dan Minor. We've had him on the show before. He'll make you custom wound counters uh, out of either MDF or acrylic, and he'll incorporate your own custom images if you want. I've always been a fan of using, so they don't get mixed up, of using either 20-sided dice for my hordes or 12-sided dice polyhedral dice for wounds. And I, I have like the see-through red gem looking and I have those both in traditional size, but I also got them in smaller sizes too. So they fit sort of snugly right up against the edge of a movement tray or whatever. And so there's a little, they're a little less out of, less in the way. But I like those. I like having um, those kind of sort of different sided dice so I don't get confused or mix them up. And I've also seen, Rob, people who take like the little, we use them in magic a lot, the life counters, or people use them in gardening or whatever, the little colored beads. Mm-hmm. And they'll have like um, a red bead is five damage, a green bead is one damage, yeah. and they just put the little beads by the unit to signify uh, yeah. how much damage it's taken. For showing people how to play Kings of War, what I actually did was I took a wooden disc and put a wooden dowel on it, and I do exactly what you just said. Uh, you can buy skull beads, red and white. And so five is a red and one is white. And you just stack them up. And it looks kind of cool behind it because you got like this stack of skulls. Right, and it's really visual. It's a really good indicator to teach somebody. Okay, you have 15 damage, or you have 12 damage. It, it you know, makes it super easy. It's another way of adding uh, creativity or adding flair or sort of personality to your army. How you track your damage is another way that you can do that. Mm-hmm. I'm also a big fan. Uh, like Ray Shields uses casino dice, so it's very clear on what the damage is. And like the OCD brain, I like how they just fit so snugly together you know so that's a way you can go to but it's uh, this these accessories really are a way to you know how i like is just to add a little kind of customization to your army outside of just the models you choose and i will say that i love designing widgets you know figuring out different ways to do things and i'll you typically figure it out and then i'll give it to the players at blue city brawl and this year what i did was i've actually switched to just using a plain blue token right? It's just like an acrylic token. And then I have a black dry erase marker and I'm just writing on 
the the token, the wounds. And what's awesome is it can't get tipped over. <laughs> it's not going to get erased unless you do erase it. You even have room to write the name of the unit if you wanted, just so that you know. Because sometimes when you move the unit and you've left the dice behind, you're like, okay, well, was that on these guys? So you can make it very clear. Ah, wow, that's a brilliant idea. And what shape is the acrylic? Is it just like a circle? or It's just round. There's people that just sell blank acrylic tokens and on like 10 cents a piece or 20 cents maybe they're a quarter a piece i can't remember that's what i gave out to blue sea brawlers this year selfishly it's because i wanted to have these awesome that's cool i like the idea of that like you said of uh you won't ever be like oh what unit was this dice for because that is one of the things you run into when you're using dice to track wounds is like you said not only can they get tipped over or changed facing they can swap units Absolutely. And this is like, you know, totally by accident. It just happens in the game, right? Next, let's touch on measuring devices because that's pretty important. What do you use to play and measure Kings of War? I like two things. I'm old fashioned. I like the tape measure and I like the um, Mantics tape measure where when you pull the measure out, it stays out until you hit the button to retract it. So it's one of those where you just, you know, you just, you just pull it out. It stay, the, the measuring tape stays out until you hit the retract button. So I use a kind of a combination of things. I'll use a tape measure for most of my measuring. And then what I do is I have a different dice color and dice style from the main dice that I'm using. And that's the dice that I use when I'm marking distances. So if I'm measuring out distances and I want to mark a dice like at 18 inches, I'll use like a separate dice that I know I'm not using as part of like the game. Because sort of the way I like to play is I like to measure everything out and put little markers showing distances and then it helps me visualize the play field better. This is a topic I love to talk about. Yes, I have a tape measure just like you. When you're measuring, you know, shooting distances, charge distances – you need a tape measure. But then I have a host of other tools. I have the regular movement widgets where it comes, it comes in a pair. One side will be one, six, two, and four. And then the other one will be half an inch, five, two, and three. And we have countercharge ones. And there's tons of people that make them, right? And they're really handy because, like, for example, when I'm moving ogres and stuff, like I'm moving my boomers, I just need the six inches because, I, you know, I, I want to move six and shoot 12. Super handy. However... The best tool that I actually kind of put my own stamp on is it's a one inch wide ruler. So first of all, that is used to when combat is over and you bounce back an inch, you can use the width of the ruler to bounce you back. It also has an arc of sight, you know, an angle. It also marks the unit leader point. You put the arc of sight up on, along the corner and then you say, oh, I'm a 200 millimeter wide thing. And it shows you where your leader point is. And my ruler is actually nine inches long because that is very inspiring range. Cool. So you're you're kind of combining a whole bunch of different uses on, into one tool, basically. Exactly. Shout out to Amarna Games. They basically had this tool um, at eight inches long, and I said, "Well, dude, let's just make it nine, and then that's one more feature that we can that we can that we can go." So one thing I want to really talk about is this thing I've come up with called the Wonder Widget. Now I love widgets that are multi-use tools, the Swiss Army. And this is the coolest tool I think I've ever come up with. And essentially, it's a small T. For the purposes of measuring, you have a right angle, which can be used to mark the location of a unit before you move it, which is huge, right? The other thing you can do is you can measure the distance from your enemies, and you can use these to mark how far they could possibly charge. And I'll have three or four of them out there, like, I will show, you know, oh, here's this guy, this guy, and this guy, and I will know visually where they're going to be able to hit me from. 
makes makes it super easy. The other thing these widgets are good for is if you have four of them, you put two of them together and it makes a plus and I use them to mark st- the points for control. You know how you got six zones in control? Oh yeah, the edges of the of the uh the spaces, the square spaces. Exactly. So you you put two plus symbols down and that will show you Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I can I can see exactly what you're saying. And then the last thing I use this for is for laying out deployment. So that long edge I lay it at the 12-inch line, and I just lay three or four of them across the board, and it shows my deployment zone. So I, I'm a big fan of tools that you can get multiple uses out of. It was a, something we gave out at t- in 2018 at Blue Sea Brawl. You could probably have any company that does laser-cut acrylic make you some. And in fact, look in the show notes. I will have pictures of all this stuff that we're talking about. Was there anything else on, on movement? I know that another thing that I've seen I have not used, but there are um, a couple other things you can use for movement. Um, one is counterattack bases. And I know that um, Tim Lonis over at War Chest Creations is actually working on pivotable movement trays. Basically, the tray itself could spin, right? You can spin yeah. it, which makes it very easy to make clean pivots. The other thing I've seen is you've probably seen those pivot uh, arcs where you put it on next to the unit or put it over the unit and then you turn. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Problem with those, they're a little cumbersome because you need one for every uh, size unit. It would be really cool if you're a TO to have a set of those there though. And they say, hey, what about this pivot? You have like perfect tools to do it is awesome. And you mentioned it there sort of kind of as we're talking about like movement and measuring. You know, it's probably a good spot to talk about two other sort of key things that you need for moving and measuring, which is an arc of sight, some sort of arc of sight uh, widget or arc of sight meter, and then also a laser pointer. Absolutely. I mean, and you just watch the stream at Masters and you're going to see pretty much every high caliber player is playing with these tools for a reason because they're very helpful. So the idea of an arc of sight, is that it will fit usually they're in like an L shape with an arrow going mm-hmm. out from the L so that you can put it on the corner of a multi base and it will it will show you where that arc line is moving. Uh, one of my favorite ones, and I'm on their website right now, and it says they're sold out, but is the Armada Games one. That's the one I use as well because it's 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 small, it's slim. Because often when you're when you need an you need to put an arc uh, uh, widget on a unit, there's a bunch of other units around. Like Ironheart Artisans makes an arc thing, but it's huge. It's so big, works, but it's but it's hard to use functionally sometimes. Yeah, it just takes up so much space. Whereas the Armada Games one is super streamlined. A laser pointer. Probably Probably, you know, Rob, there really is like one show in town and that's just the top down army painter laser pointer. Was it like 12 bucks or something? It's great. It's small. It's cheap. Essentially how it works is you hold it where the bottom is facing down and you, when you activate it, it shoots the laser down onto the table and then does it in a straight line both ways. So basically you can set up your little arc meter. You do the laser pointer on the meter where the arc line is shooting off. And then it can give you really exact uh, when you're trying to eyeball and look at which uh, facing you're in. So definitely if you're looking to sort of be more refined on your movement, I would say a line of sight or an arc meter and a laser pointer are like two really key items to add to the widget box. Next up, we might want to touch on like state of play indicators. Yep. You know, like typically wavering and disordered and you can even get hindered ones. Had I got the Wonder Widget printed... Um, I would have actually just had these printed on the Wonder Widget because it, it, it is functionally the same. Armada Games makes disordered, hindered, and wavering 
widgets that are just a right angle and then you just stu- you just stick it up right next to the unit and what's amazing is they'd also double as markers of the unit right before you move it you know exactly where you left so the disorder ones are red and the wavered ones are blue and they're super cheap and they're super high quality and yeah but i'm sure there's others that make them as well yeah i like the armada games ones myself and it's what i use as well so i have kind of two things i have the armada ones which as rob said they just are right angled thin, really pretty see-through acrylic. You just put them right up against the uh, the unit. I also, when I got Dan Miner to make me some other uh, trophies and wound dials, he made me a bunch of counters with my army logo. So for my Basileans, I have Disordered, Wavered, and Bane Chanted tokens that all have my line theme on the token itself. And it says Wavered or whatever. So again, it's another, if you want to get them custom made, you can. I think the Armada game ones are very good because they're bright, they're easy to see, but they don't take away from the rest, the the majesty of the game. They make, Rob, for state of play for items. Yep. Where you can get tokens, tokens, you know, um, uh, Armada makes one. I got some custom ones made from Litco with an L. They're like an acrylic plastics company, and they make tokens for all sorts of games. And they'll make custom ones where you can pick out what colors you want, what shapes, what font. Um, the only thing I found with those, Rob, is it's a cool idea when you're thinking about it. But if you have a token next to every unit in the game and you're trying to play, and each time you move something, you're having to move the token that represents the item that they have. It's a little, it's a lot to manage. So I sort of got them done, but didn't really use them except maybe if you have two units like two units of werewolves are two units of the same thing it might be good and they have different items you can use right. the tokens to differentiate but um i don't know have you played much with like item item tokens i used to use item tokens and in fact Ironheart artisans makes a nice set but here's the thing just get the cards for mantic because what happens is the cards are all there they're cheap. Those cards are like a good resource, you know, for 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 that. So speaking of like game state stuff, Rob, what about objective markers? That's another big one, right? Oh, uh, so I, and, and again, it took me some time to figure this out, but this would have been for 2018 Blue Cedar Brawl. Um, I made the definitive set scenario tokens, and it actually was made specifically for Ransack. And so what you have is seven tokens. You have a, a, a gold token that's got a three on it. You have three white, two ones, and a two written on it, and three blue. Two ones and a two written on the blue, already color-coded for the team, including the yellow as your center one. You got a blue, team blue and team clear. You have all the numbers there. That's all you need. If you got that set of tokens, um, it'll play every scenario just fine. Lots of different tokens, like what Rob said. Uh, you can get them custom done, and that's another great thing. We talked about custom dice, but custom tokens is another great a great thing. TOs for something really cheap that people out just love having to objective markers from an event because it will have the event name or you know what I mean. It's like it's like the cool mm-hmm. swag. One thing that I like to use, Rob. And I shared these with Billy and he got them is objective markers is a way to, again, add some um, interesting uh, customization to your army. So one of the main set of objective markers I use are actually from a fantasy coin company. 
and it's fantasycoin.com. And I use a set, it's called the Valkyrie Mixed. And essentially, it's three different sizes of coins, like a gold coin, a silver coin, and a copper-looking coin. And they all have, like, these cool dwarf runes, and they're made from real metal. And they're about the size of an objective marker. It's kind of cool that it, with objective markers, you can use anything that's, like, round-shaped. So I just like the idea of having these, like, metal dwarf treasure coins that are essentially serving as objective markers. So definitely check out fantasycoin.com. They have a lot of different genres of uh, essentially like prop, well-minted money. But it's just something cool to kind of think out of the box when you're thinking about like objective tokens. Those are really heavy too, which is really cool because they don't move. Yeah, nice, nice. And they have a, a tails and a head side, Rob. So, so when we're trying to decide, okay, what is the token that's worth more points to you? We'll flip it to one side or the other. So it doesn't have numbers like yours has numbers in colors, which is really a good idea. And this one at least has two two facings, which can help if you need to have the tokens mean different things. Uh, you just flip it from like one side, one side to the other. I guess another thing you need in your box for widgets, not really a widget, but you, you need a writing utensil. I, I'm a big fan of the countercharge pen, but you know, to each their own. Yeah, if you've go, if you've been to an event with either Rob myself or Mark, and you don't have 10 countercharge pens in your bag, we're just doing it wrong. So if you see any of us at an event, please come. I will give you pens. There's pens everywhere in my life. There's pens, countercharge pens at my mom's house, at my work, at where many states across our great land. There's countercharge pens. So let us know um, and we'll get them to you. But having a pen is really a, a great idea. Um, another thing, Rob, we haven't touched on it yet. They made them at Masters, those little staircases. But having something in your widget box, so if you have to balance a multi-base on a hill, having something that you can use to make it so that the unit can stay stationary. So an empty dice, an empty dice, like one of the empty Chessex cubes, or or have something that would work well to fit underneath like a perched model. And I'll mention that uh, Tim Lonos over at War Chess Creations, link in the show notes, has them available for seven dollars. And they're they're amazing. They're so cool. They're really yes. useful. Have one. It will, uh, especially when you're dealing with uh, your own train setup, if you have lots of hills or whatever, get one of these things. They're amazing. I guess the last thing that I wanted to mention is a turn counter. Now, I will say I have had custom turn counters made over the years. Back in Warhammer days, we did a doubles event where we did like a Narnia theme. And so I actually had a Narnia turn counter made. The one I may had made was so big that it's not practical to fit in my box. So I'm actually still looking at building, uh, maybe for next year's Blue Sea Brawl, looking to build a turn counter, but typically end up using dice. But I hate using dice because there's already so many dice on the table. You can easily mistake it. I know Gibby's a big fan. At the, at the clubhouse, he'll actually use giant fuzzy dice. Thing, you know, you just need something to be able to show what turn you're on and whose turn and is it player one or player two. And like you said, dice is good for that, but you run into that problem where if they're at all like your normal dice, you pick them up, and you know, hopefully, in any given game, you kind of you you and your opponent have a, a pretty good idea of like what turn it is, but not always. You know, we've talked about what's in the box, but you know, how do you store your widgets? And I think there's kind of two main sort of areas of storage which is how do i store them at home and when i'm lazily taking them to the game store and then what do you do when you're going to a tournament when there's less space and you got to move quick more quickly from table to table because i think those kind of require sort of different ways to bring and store all your widgets for me it's the same container 
all the time. It literally stores all my widgets. It closes up. It can go into a bag. And then when I'm at, when, and when I'm at, uh, an event, I just snap it open and there's all my widgets. And then what I'll typically do while we're deploying and stuff, pull out what I need and put it on the table. Does that make sense? Yes. From the box uh-huh. onto the table. So Plano for me. I do that a lot in the UK scene where they, they put their dice in the little uh, squares of like 10 different colored, you know, so they, they have all their stuff very organized. What I like to do is I have so much stuff in my widget box. It's probably way too much. I'm sort of a fan of the fanny pack on a tournament. Because everything just pop plops into there. I have a little, uh, I have a dice bag. I have a little baggie for all my tokens. It's just, it's always at my hip. You know, I'm never going to be where's my tape measure because every time I'm done, I just put it right back in my uh, fanny pack. Yeah, my favorite is the construction belt, the Castro Felix Castro special. It's super fast to get everything out. Yeah, it's almost like a gunslinger. Felix, one of our counter charge counter charge uh, contributors, he wears like a big giant industrial like tool belt and so it's like an open pouch so basically you just reach into the pouches there's nothing like closed off and all his stuff is stored in those pouches which is pretty smart um but it's just something to think about when you're when you're at a tournament is that have your widgets in an easily accessible and transportable device because you do have to be able to move from table to table and when you're carrying your display board unless you have like a backpack or some sort of something to carry your doodads it could be a little because that's the last thing you want to be worried about at a tournament is trying to get from one table to the next you want to be focused on your your games you don't want to be worried about how do i carry all my stuff from table to table for sure yeah so some good stuff wow you know i didn't think we would talk that long about it but really are there's lots of cool little little doodads while we're on the subject of widgets and you know i'm a huge fan of widgets i want to touch on one widget that i picked up for vanguard that i got at bug eater gt again this is from tim lonis over at war chess creations he actually made a war game table border it is the greatest thing that i've seen in a long time i was contemplating buying a mat specific for Vanguard because I'm like, well, crap, I need this specific size and I and I really hate tape. Oh, yeah, totally. That's awful. I hate it. I stumbled across this thing, which they used at the Vanguard Tournament of Bug Eater. Essentially, it's a bunch of pieces that snap together to make a frame that is the right size for Vanguard. Doesn't stop there. He put all the rules on the frame. So the, the rules are on all four sides. That's brilliant. This is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I cannot wait to use it to, you know, teach somebody Vanguard. So, uh, and by the way, big shout out to Tim, but there's a lot of great companies out there making some really cool laser cut stuff. You know, you really need to check them out because they make cool stuff. I think I've already uh, demonstrated that I like cool stuff. There's a lot of ways to add flavor, to add creativity, to make your army and play experience feel unique and special to you. And investigating and exploring the wonderful wild world of widgets is one of those ways where you can kind of add a lot of extra spice into your army. And it's it's a lot easier than what you would think when you think about custom tokens or custom dice. Oh my gosh, how would I even go about it? It's really, it's actually not that hard to get that stuff made. And it add, I mean, the amount of effort that it takes to get it made and cost is really low compared to like the cool stuff it adds. I mean, once you roll custom dice for your own army for the first time, it's awesome. I've been doing it for so long and, and I, w- I won't play without it. You know, I need dice that match my army. Yeah. You know, that being said, another thing to do is if you want some of this custom stuff, find an event. 
there's a lot of great events out there that like and a blue city brawl. I pride myself on coming up with cool stuff. And there's lots of events that'll give dice and measuring rulers and widgets and go to these events because I actually think that kind of swag is way, way better than any of the stuff they can give me. Yeah. It's the best. We all have models and getting models is cool, but getting like from Living Legends last year, a custom engraved copper drinking flask is your first place trophy. Forget models, man. Swag is really where it's at. You know, I understand why they end up they default to models a lot. It's because it's easy, right? I mean, you know, when you're when you're having custom stuff made, you've got to like the token set. It took us a long, you know, it took me a long time to think about how big should they be? How, what should they look like? How am I gonna How am I gonna make them useful to all this? You know, you gotta think it through. Yeah. And then you've got a long lead time to get them made, and you, you know, you gotta pay for all that. It's not easy to do it. However, I think the payoff is there for the TOs that want to put in the time to do yeah, it. Yeah, and it gives you your event a unique flavor. You know, it gives it a, a, your players a, like a fun experience. So it is a way. Widgets are just a great way for you to customize your army and then also for the TOs to customize their events. So definitely whether you're coming from widgets from the play side or you're coming to widgets from the, the TO or organizing side, think about adding it into your repertoire, both your, your prize support repertoire and then your own shiny, sparkly uh, doodads uh, for your own play experience. I think you guys are really going to find that it adds a lot to your uh, a lot to the game. And also, it's a great icebreaker, right? When you go to the table and you've, you've got this cool token set or your opponent's got this cool widget, it's a good, it's a good conversation starter. I can't wait for uh, another another rematch against Matt Young so I can use his own hobby sauce dice against him and uh, uh, roll my nerf checks with his own dice that he gave me at our uh, last games. I have collected so many custom dice over the years. It's, uh, it's a problem, really. Yeah, dice in general is crazy. I'll take some pictures of all my, my dice collection and uh, put them on the, uh, the Facebook page. So we'll put them in the show notes as well. It's just like crazy the amount of dice you just collect over uh, – over a lifetime. But if you guys have any more questions about what we like to use or maybe you have a token or a dice or you have something that you absolutely love that we haven't mentioned. I know Rob and I are like voracious buyers of widgets. So if there's something cool that you guys ha- have out there that we haven't that we haven't talked about, please tell me because I will want to buy it. So I will be appreciative of that knowledge. Share the love. I'm sharing it. So Rob and I are back, and we are going to talk about gaming clubs. When we talk about gaming clubs, there's uh, them across the country. I know Rob is in one. I am in one. So first off, Rob, what do we mean when we say gaming club? Well, for me, a gaming club is just a loose affiliation of typically friends or acquaintances that that are like-minded. In, in specifically the war game or Kings of War, you know, um, it's very common to have a war gaming club. Within that group, there's a bunch of guys and girls that like to play war gaming, and it could be Age of Sigmar, Kings of War, 40K, X-Wing, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of my definition. What's your definition of a club? I think it's the same thing. I think really what you said, which I really like, is the like-minded nature of it. I think clubs usually will have a sort of thing that they like. And that's and you kind of want to play with players who enjoy the same uh, stuff that you do. So maybe you might have a club that's more gameplay or battle focused or more strategy focused, and that's the that's what you like out of the game. So you sort of will find like minded players who love testing hard lists or love strategies 
Uh, and that's sort of who you play with and creating like a club atmosphere will help, uh, create that community. Often clubs will have Facebook pages or, uh, Facebook chats or uh, different sorts of ways that people in the club can communicate, whether it's like a battle focused club or um, uh, the club that I'm in, uh, Tabletop Titans. Uh, it's more of sort of like a all rounded overall type club where it's we we have people who like to paint, who like to play, who who sort of enjoy um, all aspects of of the hobby. Um, and then there's some clubs who just love like the the party element of tournaments and maybe they just they're just going just to have a good time or so really rob i think a club is a way to connect you with other gamers who like similar things of the game that you do because in the end right we need people to play if we don't have anyone to play we can't we can't play I also think there's usually a common purpose. And so it could be just to play the game we like. But in our case, you know, we try to do a lot of community building and bring people into Kings of War and Dead Zone and other Mantic games. It's almost like a club is there. It, it, it provides the reason for hanging out. You know, it's kind of, you know, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. And they become your friends. It's just like a great way to build relationships, you know, in and outside of the hobby. I mean, uh, a lot of times people in your club, they'll become your friends outside of the hobby. And I think also too the club starting a club can be a great way to get a scene growing in an area because often when you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself, it helps you get excited. One of the cool things about clubs usually is you get shirts done or you have swag or, or whatever. So when you're when you're first starting a, a new scene, uh, it, it's easy to be a little shy or you don't quite know how to go up to people. But if you sort of try to start selling your scene and growing a local club, it can give some people that Rob maybe that are a little bit shyer a, a reason to sort of come out of their shell and join like a team and feel like they have that camaraderie with uh, local people. Well, and it's less intimidating when you're part of a group. Going to your first tournament with the guys from the club uh, is a lot less intimidating than going by yourself. Uh, you know, that's a really great point because when you go to an event and you don't know anyone, that's terrifying. Whereas if you're going, even if you're you don't even know your clubmates that well, the the sense of of, of team is is there right so it gives you sort of like a default group to hang out with so what i think is so great about a club is that it can be enjoyable and a great experience for players at all levels right rob new players established players i think the club dynamic and the club atmosphere has a lot to offer to uh, lots of different people at various stages of their hobbies their hobbies life journey you know i kind of make uh, the comparison to a family in, in a club much like a family, you may have someone that's really good at painting. You may have a very good strategy player. You may have someone that's a very good sport. Um, and so what happens is you meld all those skills and you cross-pollinate all those skills. And I think overall you get better players out of being in the club. Oh, totally. You have, you have people, like you said, usually in the people in your club or in a club, you might have, like you said, Rob, the, the painter or the list builder or the sportsman guy. So you can really kind of pick the brains of different people and really grow as a player and a hobbyist. And it's within an environment of support because, you know, you're always wanting your clubmates to do well. Um, so I think the club provides sort of the framework to not only build the community, but also to build your, your skill and sort of whatever area of the hobby you're wanting to get better in. And then I think it also helps you get to know other people when not only are you getting to know your club, Rob, right? When you go places, 
you meet people in other clubs and it's like once you know one person in a club and you see someone else in that same club you can be like oh hey it's uh, uh i know so and so and they'll be like oh yeah you know you, it gives you ins to not only get to know your own club mates but like you get to know uh people in other clubs by playing their own members. So I think it's good for sort of both ways in learning how to, you know, meeting people. You know, we touched on a lot of personal positives uh, of a club, but I think, you know, external to the club, you know, positives are just for the, are, are good for the gaming community because, you know, our club goes to various stores. Uh, right now we're doing 901 games and we will be doing more room hobbies very shortly when they open. And we go to the stores and we bring armies and we bring terrain and we teach people Kings of War and we want, we want to make the, the hobby as easy to get into. And by having several of us in this club, we're able to leverage, right? If only one person is leading the charge to build Kings of War in your community or dead zone or whatever, it's hard. But if you've got seven or eight of you guys doing it, uh, you all kind of pick up some of the load. It's a great way to sort of spread out that, uh, you know, the giving back part of the hobby, right? Um, I think that's important for any sort of community focused person. You got to think about if I want there to be people to play with, or I want the community, I think, what can I give back? so that I can help create an environment to do this thing that I love doing. Uh, and clubs is like a great way to do that. And then also too, I think it creates fun narratives, right? There's certain clubs and I won't name them that, uh, are, uh, compete and are competitive with each other. You know, there's certain ones that, you know, one of the uh, cool things you'll, you'll see at tournaments, Rob, there's the individual challenge, but there's also sometimes a club will challenge another club at a tournament. And you get a lot of that friendly, you know, smack talking back and forth. So it's just a way to create cool stories at events or even outside of events. Just create cool, uh, almost sometimes like, you know, legends that happen in the, you know what I mean, in the community from stuff that's gone down. And I think you're onto something there that, you know, clubs can really have an identity of their own, right? That's bigger than the sum of their parts. And I know for us personally, you know, the Blue City Brawlers, we, we are pretty eclectic in that some of us are better painters, some of us are better gamers, um, some of us are very sporting. So there's a lot of different facets of our hobby that we, that we touch on among our members, if you will. But one of the things we're commonly known of as a group is our, our outfits. And typically we wear, we have a tracksuit, like an Adidas tracksuit with a patch that says Blue Seed Brawler. And so we wear the Adidas pants and the shirt and, you know, the shoes and all that. And it, it, even though it brands you as being part of the Blue Seed Brawlers, the alternative motive here is that it's super, super, super comfortable. That being said, we also have this other thing where after game one, we go and we change into our food suits. And I should say we did because we've actually switched to something different. Food suits, you know, I, I was pep I was the, the, the pepperoni pizza and then we had a taco and a banana. And it was just it was just this absurd thing, right, that Gibney came up with. And it's fun because it's a real icebreaker because if you're the big idiot in the room – the people that really want to just hug the corner and just want to stay anonymous, it sort of affords them that opportunity. And like you said, it's fun. I mean, Gibney, that's where it's like people call him the banana man from those costumes. So I think not only does the club and the environment within the club give you a group identity, but it helps you sort of find your own personal space too. Because usually your club is kind of encouraging you to, to, to grow in whatever way you want to do. And I think also too, Rob, 
a game club doesn't have to focus only around one game system. It gives you an opportunity to play all sorts of games. Like I know with one of the group that I have here, the Reckless Dice Guys, we play Kings of War, but we also do RPGs. And I know you and Billy have been playing Legion. So, I mean, the club not only gives you an environment to play Kings of War, but it just all sorts of games. You have a group of people who, who you can kind of say, hey, why don't you try this new game with me? Or why don't we try this? It gives you sort of like a, a home base to try games. Yeah, and it's almost like a club within a club, right? You put the caller out, anybody want to play Legion? Oh, there's a couple of us. Great. Anybody want to play 10 millimeter Kings War? Yeah, there's four or five of us. And so you have a, a group, a, a subset of the club doing these other games, and it's just, it keeps things fresh too. I mean, if you're a club and you only play Kings of War, uh, I think you'll run its course. It'll be tough. But if you're a club to play games with people, regardless of the game system, really, you know, uh, next year you could be playing something else. The friendships are more important than the game, if that makes sense. No, exactly. It's like you have the club with your friends and it's like the game is just an excuse to get everyone together. You know, it's like uh, the framework within which you exist so that you can hang out and have a good time with each other. So, and I think you see that a lot with sort of clubs, you know, throughout the country have that, that same environment. And I just think it's fun to be like, okay, you're in the Southeast, you know, you're in the blue city brawlers or you're in the sons of Vulcan territory. You go to the, the mid Atlantic and then now it's the Arista, the Arista Kratz, you know, you head up to the Shambling Horde and the Unplugged Gamers up in the Northeast. You have Lake Swai. It's like wherever you go in the country, there's sort of the clubs in that region that that that, that area is known for. So I think it, it helps kind of give different regions an identity. It, it lets you feel like you're connected to something. I think in general, they can be a really good inclusive thing aspect of the of the hobby. Yeah, and I also love the, the inter-club rivalry sometimes. You know, sons of Vulcan and Dojo fighting for who's the roughest or the who's the best, or uh, you, you know what I mean? Like the club identities are neat. Yeah, it's totally. Neat, neat yeah, and it, like you know, I'm in uh, Tabletop Titans, which uh, will be referred to as Tabletop Toddlers, and I know like one of our big rivalries is Dojo. Dojo has a lot of rivalries with other people, but I still talk with Tom Annis and Dustin Howard and all those guys. So just because you have a friendly rivalry, it's still you can still have good relationships. I think. You bring up a point, which is clubs don't necessarily have to be geographic, yes. right? So, like, Blue City Brawlers is geographic. We are here in the Memphis area. But you just mentioned Tabletop Titans. You have guys mainly in Texas, but you guys got other people outside of the state. It's an affiliation, yes. right? You go, you're going together to, you know, to go to events together. And, and that might be the purpose of the club. Might not be actually playing Kings of War. It's more organizing a group trip to a convention or to a exactly like we uh, have in our club there's like the main core is in texas but we have like rashad and then uh dan king when he comes to u.s plays plays kind of sort of affiliated with us and that's the idea right you know they just got back um jeff todd and mark and all them went to mexico together on a trip you know what I mean? So it's the same thing where it's like you're building the club as a framework to facilitate getting together and hanging out. And it all comes down to like what's the, the that sort of like-minded nature. But like you said, clubs can be local. 
like based on a city or building up your local community, or it can be just a great way to connect people from all over the country or world who share the same sort of idea. So it's kind of like I have my local club here, the Reckless Dice Guys, which are all in Sacramento, who when I kind of do stuff locally, I hang out with them. And then Titans is like my when I'm traveling to events. It's like my great, you know, like you said, it's like the banner you fly when it's like go time. But it's time to get serious, you know. Definitely uh, can create some cool story. That's that's what I love about it, Rob. I love the storylines. Like when two people from top clubs draw each other early, or when you you build these like over events and events and events, these these elaborate backstories and plots and and themes, and it adds a lot of like cool storylines. I think. And I should mention, you know, a club does not necessarily have to have a clubhouse or a store. I mean, it can be all done on Facebook. It can, you know, it can be a virtual club, right? Uh, you guys meet up maybe three times a year. Point is, you're talking, you're communicating. That communication is the key. You know, that that's, you know, that's what builds the friendships that the, and the relationships that last. Yeah, I know like one thing you guys do on After Dark, there's Brawlers Tuesday. We're usually on Tuesday, right? The brawlers will 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 all get on after dark and just chill. And doesn't mean you have to be a brawler to do it, but that just seems like that's one thing you guys do to sort of get together and paint. Which is on Tuesday nights, if if you're free, get on after dark for a painting session. If you want to sustain a club, consistency is the key, right? And so we do a lot of things every week or every whatever, and we have a schedule. And there's like this. Well, there's a schedule, and and what it allows is you may not make every Tuesday night, but you know on Tuesday night if you got nothing else to going on, jump on. You know that Devlin will probably be on Billy, and, and we'll talk about pain, or we'll talk about the Memphis Grizzlies, or whatever. Because at the end of the day, clubs are just another tool to connect us with the people in our hobby. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like that's a great point in the consistency is really important. You see a lot of that in, in, in game nights or uh, meetups or, you know, one thing that we do is we have a, a the Titans have a Facebook chat group that's really consistent where everyone's always sharing lists or are talking about strategies. And I know like Felix has the secret chat cave, which is his kind of chat group with a lot of the Ohio guys. And I know pretty much any club has their own sort of uh, uh, ways that they can consistently communicate with each other. So, you know, I'd give it, you know, if if you're on the fence about it, I would, I would, I can't recommend either uh, finding out a local one and just hanging out with them or just like starting your own or whatever it is. But I think it, it would add, it adds a lot to my hobby experience having that like-minded community to connect with, I think. And you get to make awesome swag, right? You know, let's talk a little bit about that. One of the best things about clubs is you get to wear your, uh, your club stuff. And like Rob said, the brawlers had their own sort of special costumes or what a lot of clubs will do. They'll design custom shirts and have shirts or sweatshirts or whatever that you get to print it out so that you can wear to, um, where to events. So it's definitely something that you can do a lot with if you get really get into it. I know we have banners and we have shirts and we have hats and we have, you know, we have track suits um, and we have costumes and we have dice, right? We have tokens, movement widgets. I mean, we have a lot of widgets with blue seed brawler stuff on it. Same thing with carnage charge, right? I mean, I love widgets. A widget is made 10 times better if it's got your club on it. It's all about the swag, baby. It is, because if you have a really, really great game, I'm going to hand them something cool. That's another thing I really like. It's like, you know in soccer, or football as they say in Europe, uh, where the guys uh, 
trade jerseys after the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think of the club at a tournament thing is kind of sort of similar to that. Like you might exchange dice or you might exchange widgets, whatever. It's, it's fun. You come away with stuff from other people's club. It's just so cool. This is a memento of this thing that you guys shared. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, I mean, we talk about it a lot on the show and uh, I know both you and I are real proponents advocates and really feel deeply about the strength and power that the community uh, can uh, can be as we grow it and the benefits of gaming in our lives. And the club is just like another sort of manifestation of that as a, a, a way to build that community. And there's nothing cooler than to just like start a club, come up with a design, make a t-shirt and you get to walk around with your own custom t-shirt of your own club. And people are going to be like, Oh my gosh, what are the, the restless Avengers? And you can be like, Oh, well that's my gaming club. And I mean, it's cool. It's fun. I think uh, I get, you know, people ask me about what, about what, who blaster is all the time when I'm wearing like my counter charge stuff. And the technology has come to the point now where it's really inexpensive to do this, yeah. stuff, right? Custom ink is one option for shirts. You can get like custom, uh, embroidered shirts and pol- you know shirts and hats from Queensboro. I mean, the days of like setup charges and all that stuff are gone. You can have one shirt made if you want, and it's not crazy. It's like you know twenty five bucks. Yeah, you know, and I think another thing that the club is good for, Rob, and you mentioned it a little bit before, but I just want to uh, just kind of circle back to it as we sort of uh, uh, explore the idea of clubs. Is sometimes in the hobby you just become you you get sidetracked, right? Something in life happens with work. You lose a little motivation. Your clubmates can be a great sort of hold you accountable group who uh, help motivate you, help inspire you, help you get through those lulls, you know, get through those hobby or gaming lulls. I think having that community can really help with your uh, project completion consistency. I know that's been a great resource to me is having people to help, you know, keep you excited about what you're working on. Everybody needs a Billy in their life. Totally, 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 totally. You know, we've got guys uh, that do like to build lists. Even though I I stand by that, I don't think Kings of War is really a list building game. You know, there's there's ones that are maybe more optimized than others. And so we've got Dan and Devlin. They love building lists. In fact, I I can't even remember the last time I wrote my own list for an event. I typically just say, Devlin, this is what I want to take. And he makes a list. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, it's fun. And like you said, uh, clubs usually will have that sort of cheerleader. You know, I know Billy is a one in your group. I know we have, like, in Titans, we have Mark Taylor is really great, Todd Serpico, you know, Pat Allen, a bunch of guys who are really good uh, cheerleaders and are uh, help, help keep you motivated. Yeah, so I think it, it's just a, a great thing, another great tool to have in your tool box to keep your hobby hobby moving forward absolutely so i guess the final thought rob is join a club start a club clubs are good agreed okay guys uh let us know what you think about these quick fire sort of uh quick topic little uh one-offs with rob and myself let us know um uh if you like them let us know if there's more topics you want to uh questions you want to ask us or little uh aspects of the hobby you want us to cover we'll be happy to talk about them and remember, always keep counter charging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Counter Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, 
If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Okay, we're going to take a break. And on the other side, Rob and I are going to go into a bunch of... God, I suck. Outtakes, uh, all right. Um, okay. Uh, 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 Who's bad? This guy. All um, right. <clears throat> uh, uh, and we are back. So Rob and I are going to talk about another uh, hot fire quick topic sort of. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So Rob and I uh, – and we are back. So <laughs> 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 Ah, uh, me, 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 Okay. Uh, there are uh, a, a good... We have uh, sweatsuits. Um, sweats. That's not the right word. Athletic. What is this called? No, I, uh, sweatsuit is right, right? Uh, tracksuit. Track yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Tracksuit. So, um, but yeah. So, uh, Billy's cool. I like Billy. Uh, 